Father, we do thank you for Graham. Thank you for his gifting and his ministry amongst us. We deeply appreciate him. We pray you'd anoint him by your Holy Spirit now and give him the words to share with us that you would have us hear. And we pray that you would give us receptive and responsive hearts and minds to hear your message and to act on it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. How are you doing? You all right? You nervous? Oh, just me then. <laughs> Good to speak to you today. Bye, Lily. Okay. So here's Jesus and the Pharisees trying to trap Jesus. And what we've got to understand here is that Jesus quite often said some very uncomfortable things. He said uncomfortable things about God, about humanity, about life, about death, about judgment, about law, about sin, about possessions. See, Jesus' teaching just didn't fit the way that other people saw the world. In fact, Jesus' teaching today doesn't fit the way that other people see the world. In John 18 and 36, this is what Jesus said. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. I see what the Pharisees and, and others who, who were uh, involved in Jewish culture, what they wanted was a leader who was going to come and militarily throw out the Romans. Um, I have to say that they weren't unusual in Palestine in wanting to throw out the Romans. Um, virtually everybody wanted to throw out the Romans, whichever country they had to be. Uh, but of late, really, it's only the Scots that have managed to beat the Italians. Um, uh, but what can I... What, can I say sorry? I couldn't help the rugby reference, uh, but it's just such a rare event. Um, there we are, three out of five. Can't believe it. It'll never happen again. So, but Jesus isn't going to do that. Jesus just isn't going to do that. He's not even interested in doing that. And what we see here are the Pharisees who loved money. Luke 16 tells us this. The Pharisees loved money. They're trying to entice Jesus into being seditious. In the one, they're trying to get Jesus to break Jewish law by not paying temple tax. And in the other, they're trying to get Jesus to break state law by not paying the poll tax or the state tax. But on both occasions, interestingly enough, the tax is paid. And on both occasions, another point is made. And it's this point that I want to make today. You see, what Jesus is saying is this is not the real world order. This is not the real world order. So he says, look, here's something that belongs to Caesar. Here's something that belongs to God. So give this which belongs to Caesar to Caesar. Give this which belongs to God to God. 
But inside, this is what Jesus is saying. And by the way, none of it belongs to you. None of it's yours. Some of it belongs to the world. But you are supposed to be a people set apart. You belong to God. And that's what he's saying. Give Caesar his money. Give God his people back. And that isn't what they're doing. You see, the people of Israel were supposed to belong there, but they didn't. They were supposed to belong to God, but they don't. And that's interesting. You see, they were supposed to be free to worship God. But in fact, by using the law, they'd made themselves slaves. And I want to talk about that today. That in the Bible, almost always, from beginning to end, there's a sort of state of two types of being that the Bible always presents in one way or another. Two coexist. It's one of the methods that the Bible uses for describing how human beings are. So if you think, for example, the, the, the people of Israel are slaves in, Israel, in, in Egypt, and then they become the children of Israel. That the, the people of Israel are following false gods instead of following God. That the people of Israel are living in their own country, and then they become exiles. In the New Testament, we get similar, similar analogies, that we are dead in sin, and then we're made alive in the Spirit. There's always a comparison. But the big one in the New Testament is this. Children of God, slaves to sin. Children of God, slaves to sin. Which is the conversation that he has with Peter. So, Peter, child of God, slave to the law. Child of God, slave to the law. Children of God. Well, this is God's temple. The people are asking you for, for tax. It's not actually their temple. It doesn't actually belong to them. It's God's temple. And you're a child of God. Why are you being taxed to go into your own father's house? Why are you being taxed? But for the sake of peace. And that's the whole thing. See, there's a big difference between children and slaves. Children obey because they love. They know and trust, and so they love. Slaves obey because they have to. Slaves are driven slave drivers. Here's a question then. Slaves or children? Slaves or children? Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 24. It's a very famous verse. He says, you cannot serve two masters. Either you love one and hate the other. You serve one, you despise the other. You can't serve God and money. Jesus doesn't say this, though, that you're completely free to serve yourself. Jesus never says that. Jesus doesn't suggest that you can serve no one but yourself. In fact, that's not a biblical suggestion. There is no biblical suggestion that you are a free agent that can only serve yourself. Interestingly enough, it's not a biblical one. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that 
rather challenging. Yes, it is. You see, in the Old Testament, serve God or false gods? The people who served the false gods believed that they were free. But in the Bible definition, they're not free. They're just serving false gods. There's no in the middle. Even when it says that people did what they thought was right in their own eyes, which is what it says in Judges, what, what the Bible was describing was people who were enslaved to all sorts of things. It's interesting, isn't it, that? Just that. What is it Bob Dylan says? You've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. That's a biblical, a biblical statement. And I just want to point out that I've now got Scottish rugby and Bob Dylan into a sermon in one go. You're getting the full Graham Clark repertoire this morning. Uh, and uh, enjoy, because I know I am. Anyway, but it's true, it's true, it's true. You see, it's like this. We can deny, we can deny that other things are in control. We can tell ourselves that we are in control, but it doesn't work like this. Uh, but we do get that reaction when, when we think it is. And I'll just give you a few examples here. So I have a medical condition. I was reading this morning, actually, about the NHS and about medical conditions. I have a medical condition. Okay, so let's think about that. I can refuse to accept that I have. I can just refuse to accept that I have a medical condition. I mean, at the end of the day, I'll get sick. In fact, I'll get very sick, but I, I can refuse to accept it. I, I, can, I can object to it. I can say, it's a disgrace that I have this medical condition. I'm going to write to my MP. But it won't change it. I'll tell you what else I can do. I can get really mad at the doctor that tells me I've got it. And I can tell him, how very dare you? You can't walk around saying things like that about me. I'm, I'm British, for goodness sake. You, can, you can't walk around telling me that. But it doesn't change it. It's still there. How do I know it's there? The symptoms are there. I can claim all sorts of things, but it doesn't change the truth. And that's an interesting state. I wonder, as we talk today, how many times in your head you begin to identify ways in which we are lied to and deceived, including how many times we deceive ourselves. It will be an interesting count. You see, we believe the doctor because we see the symptoms for ourselves. Well, look around. Look at the mess in the world. Look inside. Yeah, that's always uncomfortable. You can see the signs of a sinful nature. It's there. Now, denial is a lovely thing. We can always deny that there's anything wrong. And this comes from the fall. This is the fall. 
You see, when, Jesus, when God said to, to humans, don't, just don't eat that, everything else, not that. Humans were easily deceived. They were deceived. And we continue to be deceived. See, when we disobeyed God and allowed ourselves to be deceived, we became infected with the sin that still ruins our lives today. The sin that still ruins our lives today. Think about some of the calculations that people make. I have decided that I would like control over this little patch of territory. And I am prepared for hundreds and thousands of people to starve to death rather than give up on that claim even just to let people get their crops in. That's happening today in our world. Where'd that come from? We are deceived, our sinfulness. See, sinfulness is a state of being. Sinfulness is not an action. It's a state of being. It's an infection of disobedience. Sinful acts are the symptoms of the sinful nature. I have a condition. I have a condition that I was born with. We all are born with a sinful nature. And we commit sinful acts because we have a sinful nature. That's our terrible condition. And this always creates a tension. Because you see, we're made in the image of God. We're made in the image of God, but we have a sinful nature. Image of God, sinful nature. Do you remember I told you that the Bible always has two things? Image of God, sinful nature. Now, I'm not knocking the worship team. They might be image of God, and it's in fact Donovan that's the sinful nature. I don't want you to read anything into the sides I'm choosing here. It's everybody. Image of God, sinful nature. Now, what that means is that we can do great good while harboring a sinful nature. See, that's why being really nice doesn't get us free from our condition, sinful nature. And that's an interesting thing. So we become slaves. Now, slavery to sin is obvious. I mean, it's dressed up to look like freedom. It's always dressed up to look like freedom. But just see this. Just ask somebody to do without. Ask somebody to forgive a hurt. Or to wait for something they think they're entitled to. Or to have less than someone else. Or to miss out. Just ask someone to look foolish in the eyes of others. Just invent a fashion. There's a definition of slavery. Ask people, including me, not to look at their mobile phone for more than an hour. Think of these things that enslave us. Addiction, obsession, jealousy, rage, self-control being controlling of others, being slaves to our emotions. Vigilance. We'll just talk a bit about vigilance as a symptom of slavery. Vigilance. Do you know what vigilance means? 
watching. Watching everybody, everywhere. Who's got what? Who has what? Who's doing what? Who said what? Who didn't say what? Who could have? Whose face didn't tell me that I'm number one? Who? Vigilance is a sign of slavery to sin. Why is it? Why is it that what everybody else is doing is so important? Really challenging. Really challenging. Interesting. I like the way that there's a new international version and it talks about this. The New Living Translation says this in Isaiah. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy lags like autumn leaves. We wither and fall and our sins sweep us away like the wind. It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus is addressing this, this denial. That's what he's doing. He's going, he's going, Peter, these people think it's their temple. No, it isn't. Peter, these people think it's their money. It isn't. These people are denying God. But you see, denying God doesn't stop him existing. It's a bit like the medical condition. I, I, I remember, and I, I talk about this often because it really struck me, in the, in the 40s and the 50s, those of you who are old enough to remember that, I have historians to help me with those decades, but um, they used to make movies about Greek mythology. You come across them, you know, the old Jason and the Argonauts and all that kind of stuff. And you'd get all these Greek gods up in Olympus, and they'd always say the same thing which was this, we really need humans to believe in us or else we'll cease to exist. That's an interesting concept. It came from a form um, of psychology that emerged around about the 30s and the 40s. But you see, that is not the nature of God. If you cease to believe in God, He does not cease to exist. Eventually, you will cease to exist, but He won't cease to exist. Denying the existence of God is actually something, in my view, that I think human beings find impossible. I know that lots of people say they do, but they don't. But being, my experience is that mostly people are angry or disappointed in God, and they think somehow that by saying they don't exist, they can punish them. And eventually God will go, oh, I, I accept my wrongdoing, uh, and I will now do what it is you wanted me to do, or I will apologize for not doing what it is that you didn't want me to do. But God is God. God is God. That's how it works. Being angry with them won't resolve anything. It's a bit like, you know when you fall out with, I don't know if you've come across this. I mean, I've, I've given up on this because I'm rubbish at it. But do you know when you fall out with somebody and then you just go in the huff and you sort of blank them? I, I, now, I, I, I'm aware that some people are fantastic at this. They can keep it up for weeks and years even. I, I, I'm about 17 minutes if I'm really angry. And, and then my mouth take, takes over. But here's the thing. Just blanking off never resolves anything, doesn't it? You, you're still angry and you get angrier. The more you try and keep your mouth shut, the crosser you get. What really irritates me, usually gets me to open my mouth, is that the other person seems considerably less bothered about this than I am. <laughs> have, have you noticed that? Okay, well, just understand that. That is God when you're angry with Him and giving Him the silent treatment, okay? He loves you, but He's really not intimidated. 
He's really not intimidated. He wants you to stop blanking on because you're cross or angry or disappointed and you're not helping yourself. You're just getting more and more entrenched. But that happens all the time. Meet people all the time who do that. It's disappointing. But it doesn't make us free from God. It just makes us slaves to whatever's going on inside. Do you understand what I'm saying? It doesn't make us free from God. It just makes us slaves to whatever's eating us up inside. And it carries on. Better to talk than do that. Okay, enough negative, because you see, at the end of the day, here's the good news, and there is good news here. This sinful nature we're talking about, Jesus defeated it. Jesus defeated it. That's fantastic, isn't it? I have yet, and I, don't believe, I do believe that God can cure things miraculously, and he does it all the time. But I have yet to receive healing miraculously for the condition that I live with. So I continue to live with it. But Jesus has defeated my sinful nature. He has defeated it. He brings forgiveness for sins and the restoration of spiritual life. So the sinful nature no longer needs to be in charge. How fantastic is that? We don't need to fear. We don't need to fear judgment or disappointment or death. And we don't need to be slaves to desire. Sex, power, money, revenge, drugs. Now, the sinful nature is made up of these two things. Desire, fear. Desire, fear. Funny how it's two every time. Desire and fear. But we are no longer slaves to that. If we receive Jesus, we stop being slaves and we become children. This is what John says in John 1 verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, that's Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. How good is that? children of God. And what's interesting, because Peter, who was an apostle, remember he was knocking about with Jesus. When he was an old man, he remembered what Jesus was saying, because he said to this, to the church, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. We become children Jesus died to redeem us from the slavery of sin. He paid a high price. The cost of sin is death. Now, sometimes people think that nobody should die. I'm going to be a bit controversial here, but I really don't have that issue. I, I'm going to die, and if I'm honest with you, it's a good thing. Because, frankly, I'm a bit of a mess if I'm honest with you. And uh, pretty as I am, it's just not going to last. So, you know, this fine figure of manhood hides already some quite alarming weaknesses, not just in body, but in character. It deserves, it requires death. 
for me to inherit new, I'm glad that this is passing away. I'm glad that this is passing away. Now, don't get me wrong. There are people I know who've died, and I feel their loss, and I hurt because they've gone. And that's what we all do. But going to Jesus gets rid of this wasted, worn-out, malfunctioning, poor judgment-orientated individual and offers me instead new life. After a while, I will cease to be a slave to this body, and I will be a child in the kingdom of God in all its fullness. I look forward to that. I, I intend to make the most of the time I have here. Um, trust me. And sometimes I do, and sometimes I waste it. And sometimes I make a real mess of it. But I'm not, it's not, this is not it. This is not it. And that's good. That's good. That's what's available. We enter God's presence. Now, even now, with Jesus removing our sinful nature, we enter by right and not by rent. We're, we're free from the slavery. If we receive Jesus, we're free from that slavery. But our bodies still hold the sinful nature. The Holy Spirit lives in those who belong to Jesus. We don't have to be slaves. We don't have to be slaves. But often, we still choose to be. That's interesting, isn't it? Think about the people of Israel who came out into the desert and they looked around and it looked a bit hard. And they said, oh no, I think we'd rather go back to Egypt. Um, you know, we, we, we lie in bed at night and we dream of a good whipping. And they were just thinking about their stomachs, but they weren't thinking about the price they paid for it. Think about the prodigal son. The prodigal son is living like a slave, but he's still a son, but he's living like a slave. Paul said this in Galatians, it was for freedom that Christ set you free. It was for freedom Christ set you free. So you don't need to live like a slave, but you can if you want. If you don't have Jesus, sin has a grip on you, and Jesus can take that away. If Jesus takes that away, surely the best thing would be to not live as though it's still got a grip on you. You would have thought. But we are deceived. We're deceived across the whole world. See, back to the fall, God gave humans dominion over the whole earth. And humans gave control of that to Satan. Satan doesn't control the world. He has no power. He's utterly defeated. But he is a deceiver, and he deceives us into following his advice about what to do with the world. And look at the mess that we make. It's the same. Satan is a deceiver. He cannot make you do anything. But he deceives us into believing that we should enslave ourselves to our possessions, to our money, to our anger, to our bitterness, to our ambitions, to our fear, to our disappointment with God. 
We are deceived and we become slaves. Even if we are sons and daughters of God, we are deceived and although we're not slaves, we live like slaves, not like children. Does that make sense? We don't need to do that. We don't need to do that. We sometimes fear that if we give God control, he will spoil our enjoyment. That's a lie from the, de the devil. You see, if we're deceived, we never really get to enjoy anything. Think about it. We never get to enjoy anything. We're always worried about what's next, or what's to come, or will we lose it, or who's got what, or how can we afford it, or where's it all going to go, and why have they got and I haven't, and what do they think, and what do they think, and what are they going to say, and have they said it, and gosh, that sounds like freedom to me. I'm really liberated by all of that. It's not. But if we don't live in fear, think about this. We can see what others have without being jealous. We can enjoy what God has blessed us with without fearing for the future. We can see a need in others and not fear that we miss out if we meet their need. We can enjoy somebody else's success without fearing that we'll be overlooked. We can see others doing wrong and not be driven by rage that we can't let go. We can experience difficult times and not get bitter. We can wait for things and not become disillusioned. We can love really horrible people. We can say no to the things that do us harm. That's the freedom of being a child of God. If you want to be free of those things, come to Jesus. Jesus is the cure to our sinful nature and the complete freedom from being driven this way and that way like slaves to everything that comes along. Jesus offers complete freedom from that. And if you are a child of God and you don't have this freedom, come to Jesus. Tell Him what it is you can't let go. Tell Him what it is that you fear or the desire that you're driven by and let Him help you. Whose money is this? Whose stuff is this? whose everything is this, it's not yours. It either belongs to Satan, and if you chase it, you become his slave, or it belongs to God, and if you're his child, you will inherit this. Isn't that a promise? And you can live in that inheritance right through until His glory comes. But whose choice is it? Well, there's the rub, your choice. Child or slave, slave or child, you choose. My encouragement to you is choose today. If anything is enslaving you, choose today. Let Jesus set you free. The Father is waiting to welcome you as a child. If you are a child of God, the Father is waiting to see you released into your inheritance. 
Jesus has authority to do that. Don't miss out today. All of this stuff, don't worry about it. It's really not yours. Let's pray. Father God, set us free in Jesus' name from the things that grip us. Fear, resentment, unforgiveness, anxiety, anger, desire, hunger, addiction, jealousy, past hurts. Set us free. Lord, we just thank you that in Jesus, the power of the sinful nature is defeated. We don't need to be slaves. We are so grateful. Jesus, talk to us today. By your Holy Spirit, reveal to us the true freedom that we have and enable us to walk as children of God and not slaves to sin. Forgive us, we pray, and bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.